Deadline sponsors include HBO presenting a Black Lady Sketch Show, a show of comedy sketches performed by a main cast of African-American female comedians. Nominated for five Emmys, including Outstanding Variety Sketch Series. We're here today with the creator of MGM and Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale, Bruce Miller, and the season four director of that chilling finale, Liz Garbus on Crew Call. Bruce, tell me about bringing Liz on board. Um, you know, award-winning, award-winning um, documentarian. What made her the right choice for this finale? I think it's exactly what you said. I mean, she had a very good eye. Um, and also, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot that overlapped in terms of theme with uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, but also just in, in terms of her kind of the, the things she decided to tell stories about and how she told them. But honestly, you know, it was a very old fashioned process. Um, Warren and Lizzie, Elizabeth Moss and I, uh, get together and we just talk through we have a list of an ongoing list of directors that we talk through and we identified her pretty early as someone who we we wanted i mean i think that you know liz feels like we you know we gave her a job i feel like she gave us her her time as a very busy director but that, it was very old-fashioned i saw her movie we talked about her we called people to make sure she was a decent person we hired her because i thought she'd be good for the job the how far in advance, Liz, did you know about the finale, and 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 how did you prep and everything? Uh, how how far in advance did I get the script? Is that the question? Yeah, uh, I think finales, I got. Yeah, finales are usually down to the minute. No, Bruce did not do that. He did not do that to me. He did not do that to me. Uh, I believe I got it around the new year, right, and then. I was... don't, don't look at me. I, you know, it's it's mixed up in, there's 10 other deadlines mixed up in there. Right, exactly. And a, and a my, my little baby, I think it, be, it came around the new year and maybe it was the first or second week of July. And I went to, Can I mean, of January, excuse me. And I went to Canada the end of January from, to start my quarantine. So I had a couple weeks in New York um, where I had read it and I could start talking to Lizzie and to Stuart Billcom, our DP, um, about the episode and some of the things that, um, you know, the, the challenges and how we might attack them. Um, and then when I got there, I had two weeks of quarantine where I was basically on Zooms all day long, getting to know the incredible team who makes The Handmaid's Tale, and um, as well as talking with the actors during my quarantine. So then by the time prep started, I had some real good prep under my belt. Bruce and I did the tone meeting very early on uh, really? In prep, that was really great for me. Tell me um, about the tone meeting. Uh, Bruce, I mean, what was so great for me was that Bruce, um, was that we did it so early in the prep period. And I really, really understood Bruce's point of view on the characters and what was happening during this episode. Um, you know, for June, um, it was a, it was a, it was a bumpy arc, right? And that's purposeful. Like she was sort of ping-ponging around like what 
can she live with and what can't she live with, right? And um, so charting that arc and really understanding it beat to beat by having spoken so deeply with Bruce, um, it just set everything in motion for me. So what's interesting, uh, Bruce, is that I knew that um, I knew Fred would die uh, ahead of time, like a couple of weeks ahead of time. And um, so while I'm watching the, the season finale, I'm like, of course, I'm looking for this. I'm like, okay, he's, he's sitting down with June now. Is she gonna poison his drink? No. Um, okay, well, this has just gotta be a knife murder. It's just gonna be knife, 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 knife. Nope. Man, what a creative, what a creative death. What do I, I, tell me, tell me about, it's like this slow, mo, slow motion mob scene, close up, visceral. Tell me about that. How did you, how did you guys, I mean, I, I don't think I've seen anything like that before. Was it inspired by, um, any films of any sort, or tell me, tell me about building that out. Well, I, you know, it, it is definitely built in concert between me and my writing staff and my brains, and then we give it over to Liz and Stuart Biddlecombe, who's our DP, and all of those other people. So, what you're talking about is kind of a combination of those two things. But I think my conversation with Liz was very much, I want to see what June sees. I want the experience to be June's experience, and that's our our mantra all the way along. So there wasn't you know, honestly, it, it was taking things that we've seen in other movies and, and uh, we saw at the beginning of this show and just making it more intimate, not making it more vicious, not making it more violent, not making it any different than it would be, but just getting in closer and seeing it. So in some ways, it's just a question of kind of repeating the the, the mantra of the show, I mean, it's The Handmaid's Tale. You want to see what The Handmaid is doing. And I think getting in so close was what allowed you to have that reaction of it being so much more violent. But it wasn't any more violent. We were just closer to it. Liz, tell me about building that. I mean, shooting the scene. Uh, was it several days? Uh, shooting at night? Yeah. Anthony, several days. You're so sweet. Well, <laughs> such a... You're such a sweet summer flower. Well, yeah, I know, I know. I, 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 once, I once asked um, some of the cast members of Mad Men, I said, do you guys go off in your corner and get into character? And it's so method, you must have. They're like, what are you talking about? We're lucky if we could have a practice. It's just like, if we, you know, hit your marks, come prepared, no. <laughs> <laughs> Just to give you a sense of the pace and to give your audience a sense of the pace, when Lizzie has to go to the bathroom, she has to tell the entire crew that she's going to the bathroom. That's how tight their time is, you know? So, so, so it seems like it's this luxurious artistic process and it's a lot of your star going, okay, I need 30 seconds to go to the restroom before we start. So that's really the time frame that we're working in is every second, every second is so valuable. And by the way, I mean, you know, with this cast is so talented and, you know, they can, you know, Lizzie and I, I mean, we could have cut that episode four different ways, right? And like had her kind of come to the realization of that she, she had to kill Fred at many different points in the episode that we then massaged in the edit room. We gave ourselves a lot of options. So that just shows you, no, the salvaging was one night shoot. 
And um, because of COVID, a, a night is really 10 hours. Like it couldn't be a 16 hour day. It had to be a 10 or max like 11 hour day. And um, yeah, but these actors are so good. They're so prepared. And also we, we prepped. I mean, we had talked a lot about that scene. We have an incredible stunt coordinator who you know shot a practice run. So we worked out all the kinks like in the daylight, you know, and, and it was just, you know, it's such an amazing team that yeah, we could do that in a night. Um, we had wire cameras strung from tree to tree. Um, you know, you know, moving in front of Lizzie and this and the, the other runners as as they chased Fred, you know, Fred fell once and he, he used it for the performance. I think it made it into the final episode. Um, I mean, into the final cut. So, you know, these guys are so good. They're so game, you know, uh, you know, you know, Joe finds just falling onto that mat being kicked by by 20 women, I think, or maybe it was 16 or something. The COVID, we, we kept on being able to add more as COVID protocols changed. Um, but um, no, it was one night. And really, as Bruce said, it was about the emotion as opposed to the technicality of it. You know, it's like, if you could be on, on Lizzie's face, if you could be on Alexis's face, that's what it was about. It wasn't about seeing a limb come off, you know? It was about um, that, the abandon that they experienced at, at that catharsis, you know, that how, how deep that was for them. That was the, the point of the scene. What was the temperature? It oh. looks like a very cold Canadian night that you well, shot Well, Bruce it. will tell you, I mean, when we scouted and chose that location, it had like four feet of show, snow cover. It proceeded to rain for two weeks. So when we showed up, it was brown and muddy. Um, it was cold, it was cold, but it certainly wasn't the worst that this, this team had faced. And, 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 and it was just, you shot this in a matter of hours. We shot the salvaging in, in one night, yes. Wow. And I, wow. Spoke to, I spoke to Lizzie and Joe, I think in the, um, when they were driving home and they were both so happy and excited and thrilled they could have gone 10 more hours. I mean, they were energized and you know, it, 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 it's amazing. I mean, after all these years and all the shows those guys have done and all the movies, they were like kids in a candy store. Just, it was, you know, they had so much fun with, you know, whiz in the woods with the mud and the freezing cold. It's like, it's the, way, the thing they love about, it's the glamor of the job that they adore, I have to say. What is June's, typically I, I'd save this question for the end, but what is June's next priorities? It's like, you feel like, okay, her life is close to normal. She's in, she's in Canada. She's with, she's with her husband. What, what are the next steps for her? And like, is taking the rest of Gilead out part of the priority? On, on her to-do list. You're very Please. sneaky. <laughs> uh, um, I, I think that, I, I think that um, what, what she's realizing, she's, you know, I think what this season about is, is this the beginning of June's revenge or the end of June's revenge? Is this the beginning of her finding justice or the end of her finding justice? If it's the beginning, there's a long violent road ahead that's not gonna have a lot of room for husbands and babies and love and friends. Um, but if there's not that hard road ahead, she has to divorce herself from that whole idea. You know, the idea that that's my justice and all the other people who hurt me and the people who caused this in Gilead and the people who are stuck there are not my problem. So which do you 
do. And I think she's faced with the idea of seeing, wow, boy, it really does rattle me when I do something this violent and horrible. But on the other hand, it feels very good. And it does feel like finally, 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 we've made some real changes in the world. And, and that's a good feeling. So I think for June, it's always been June has Gilead. It, it, she's not, she may be out of Gilead, but Gilead's not out of her. And it's a long way from being a normal life. And I don't think she's ever going to have the normal life she had before. So it's about taking June and seeing what she learned from Offred and coming up with a new woman out the other end. I know Nick loves her. I, I found it interesting that Joseph was willing to work with her to get Fred. If you could expound on this, I'm thinking Fred's crimes and what he was feeding to the Canadians was just far more severe than anything June ever did. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, in, in, in the finale, you got the sense that Fred was singing like a bird and they would very much like him to be quiet. Um, no one, no woman has that, that kind of access. So, so when it was Serena or June singing, they, they didn't worry whether they should or not. They didn't worry, but they worried about Fred. He was one of them and they wanted him quiet. And they really didn't care who made him quiet, whether it was them, whether it was Gilead or the Americans or the Canadians or June in the woods. They just wanted him quiet. June was, you know, a nice, effective way to do it, um, and they, they, but I think that uh, they, um, their, their point of view in this was simply to shut up the person who was saying bad things about them. David, if you love sketch shows, and I do, you have to watch a black lady sketch show on HBO Max. It's a show of comedy sketches performed by a main cast of African-American female comedians. It's up this Emmy season for Outstanding Variety Sketch Series. All episodes, you can watch them on HBO Max. Liz, tell me about the lighting. The lighting is very much a character. There is this gorgeous haze that is in every shot. It reminds me in a great way of like 1990s foreign European European films. Is that, that is a characteristic. It is, I think the lighting in and of itself is a star in the film. Can you talk, in, in, in the finale, can you talk about that? The lighting in Handmaid's Tale is, you know, one of its signature assets. <laughs> and um, with Stu Biddlecombe, our, our phenomenal DP, and Tom Henderson, who's just a gorgeously talented gaffer. I mean, they work so well together, those two. And, um, you know, for me as a director coming in, I mean, I just, I don't want to break what's, what's working, you know? I mean, I think there are some scenes where, um, and I'm thinking specifically of the scene of uh, where June and uh, Fred are kind of having their tete-a-tete in his cell. Sometimes um, the acting wants to lead, right? And in, that, in, a, in, a, in a scene like that where we were going handheld and we really wanted um, Lizzie as June to feel free to kind of like circle, 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 um, Fred as her prey, you know, kind of moving all over his room, violating, touching all his things, picking things up, owning his space 
in the way um, to really flip the coin in the way that she had to exist in the um, Waterford home and really own it. So that was an that was a time where you know the the the, the gaffers running around with a globe, kind of trying to keep up with them, right? And what's so wonderful about this team is that they allow that to happen. And then they allow, you know, the scene in the woods where they've got 17 trucks parked God knows where, you know, blasting that incredible light through the trees so that, you know, June, when she emerges from the woods, like this avenging angel um, is backlit and there's that haze. I mean, they can do everything. So, um, you know, for me, it's like being in a candy store with these incredible artists and technicians. I think I just wanted to say in that final scene, um, uh, Stuart is, a, a, is from Britain. And I think a lot of our uh, low angle winter light is really inspired by Britain and Toronto, Canada and New England. Very much kind of you get that, that beautiful, beautiful sidelight. But I wanted to say in that final scene, there really is a sense that the the light is carrying the women through the woods that that with the flashlights and the light behind them that they're they're you know kind of um, aloft on the on the uh, ray of light and there's something so kind of angelic the avenging angel about that uh, but I, I think that that what Liz said is right is is it's simple the lighting is simple everything is it's 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 made to say you know it, it's it's made to illuminate June. It's to make June uh, this scary, you know, horror movie character in the woods, but it's very simple. So I think that the more, the simpler we make it, uh, Liz and I and, and the actors, the more you can layer and layer and layer and it gets more interesting, but not, you know, impenetrable. Simple things on top of each other are interesting. Too many complicated things and, you know, it starts being homework. Liz, there, there is a part where Lizzie, when she, as June, when she's with Fred, she cries. Now, to an audience member just watching, you might think, oh, the actor's crying. But that's a big deal. That's a big deal for an actor or an actress to turn on the waterworks. And I'm curious, did, was, was Lizzie able to do that almost instantane instantaneously because it's all built up in her and June is just, she lives with June or is that something that, um, that takes a few takes? Oh, I mean, Lizzie can do anything. Um, she can do anything and everything. Um, so, and also I have to say, Bruce, Lizzie, Joe, me, we, we worked really hard on that scene. I mean, there was a lot of emotion and passion going into it. Um, and so I think like all of that work and, and it just felt really good shooting that scene. Like everybody was so like, we felt like we got it. Like this is this in, such an important scene for the two of them for episode, you know, four seasons leading up to this confrontation. And I think so it was a mix of Elizabeth Moss feeling like, God, like, every person on the crew knows that. That they know that relationship. They know they know June and Fred as well as they know Lizzie and Joe. And 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 so I think it's everything. I think it's it's Lizzie Moss and her feelings about getting to this place after four seasons. I think it's Gilead inside of of June. I think it's all of those things. Um, but Lizzie can do it. Lizzie could do it like on a dime, even if we hadn't done all that prep, um, because she's just incredible. And Maybe, also, do you agree, if, Bruce? If, I mean, if, oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think yeah. that 
you know, Lizzie has a has Lizzie is an astonishing actress, and I think the probably one of the best working, you know, one of the best working actors in the world today, certainly. Um, but so it isn't a question of her finding the tool; it's a question of her finding the right tool and deploying it. Um, so I think that that all of what you say is very true. You know, she's very mindful about crying in front of that character. You know, she's very mindful about what that means. Uh, but you know, to tell you the truth, she's an easy cry in real life. If you tell her a story about a puppy, she cries. I mean, I, you know, Yvonne's the same way. I mean, they they play these like, and they're such intimidating women in real life, so strong and so smart and so devoted, and yet. You know, you, you watch a commercial about, you know, long distance telephones and she's sobbing, you know, because they're all such softies on the inside. So I think that also, you know, allows something to happen that, you know, they're not guarded people. That, that's part of what they do. And so I think that when she feels that all of those emotions, including letting, letting go of Joe Fines, well up, she, she can allow them to, to slip through in a way that really feels like she's not crying in front of us, but she's trying not to cry in front of us. Liz, how did you find the pacing of, of shooting a TV, a TV episode? Because um, on a documentary, you know, the notion is you've got time, you know, it's, it, it could take a couple of years to put together. This is running gun. Did you, did you like it? And did you have a similar experience previously on any, on, on any production you worked with, where it was so where it was so snappy. Uh, well, I had uh, directed a, a a a scripted film for Netflix that we shot in about thirty two days, um, thirty five days. Ultimately, I think it was. Um, so you know that's certainly more time. You know, if you count the minutes per day, is this is this is certainly moving fast. But I have to say, it never felt rushed. I mean, the crew is so good. Um, they, they, I mean, I have to just give it to the camera, uh, the camera, uh, gaffer and uh, grip department. I mean, they just turn things around and it never looks, I mean, you've, you've talked about the extraordinary, uh, work in the lighting. I mean, but they're able to turn that around so quickly that, um, it was not a stressor. I mean, you know, it I, I was... think for Liz, what, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, 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 Liz, you're good. I, think... I mean, it's we gave we what we tried to do is make the hard decisions beforehand as much as humanly possible so that we're cutting scenes out so we leave her time to do the work we've given her as opposed to say here's 25 scenes shoot all 25 kind of crappy and then we'll decide which ones to use what we say is we only have time to shoot 15 let's now bite the bullet and decide which 15 now um, and then we end up using 14 of them in the episode we very 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 rarely leave something on the cutting room floor it's it's um uh a you don't put it on the cutting room floor anymore because it's digital but b it's you know we we tr i think one of the ways we make the show uh for the money we make it and under the conditions we make it is that we're uh, thoughtful beforehand and mean to ourselves beforehand that came to bear this year more than anything else and especially in the finale the finale was a very big project that we had to cull down and and i think liz was very flexible incredibly flexible but also very realistic when i was not wanting to be as realistic she made me cut shit tell me about further for, tell me more about the editing process for both of you um, after you leave, after you leave the set, are you are you previewing one, two, three cuts of, of the season finale? 
for me or Bruce? For Liz puts her cut. Liz puts her cut together. So Liz, were you doing that during shooting or? Uh, Wendy was cutting scenes. I was looking at scenes. I mean, I would look at dailies and then by the end of the week and Wendy would send me some scenes and I'd have whatever day off I had and I could, we would look at them. Yeah. I think the philosophy, Anthony, is just simply, I want Liz to be the director. I don't want to direct. I want Liz to direct. And then I think Liz and the editor get together and we both want the editor to edit. We, I don't want to edit and Liz doesn't want to edit. So what we're trying to do is make sure Liz communicates everything she needs to communicate about what happened on set. And this is what I want. And then they give it over to me. And it's very kind and difficult of our directors to do that. I mean, I think it's a part of the process. It's not easy for anybody. Um, but I try to look at it very much as from not as a writer or a producer or as someone who spoke to the director beforehand, but just as, okay, now I'm getting it for the first time. So I don't wanna to look too much, I don't wanna put my nose into her process with Wendy. I can always change things later, but I never get the chance to see what, what she and Wendy come up with. I'll never see that if I try to, if I stick my nose in their business. I love the overhead shots, the bird's eye view shots. Does the production own either a really tall crane or a helicopter? No, we have a guy that's really tall. <laughs> Stu is super tall. Yeah. Uh, Clifford the big red dog is our camera operator. Uh, no, but tell me, can you tell me about that? That I, I mean, I know. How did you do, how did you do the overhead? What did you guys use for the overhead? For the salvaging? For the salvaging? It's a drone and we have, you know, the most incredible drone operator who just gets it. I mean, it, it's insane because I've worked with some of the best folks in New York and these guys in Toronto are just incredible. They're in, um, they're, they also got drones very early on. They've had a lot of years and they, and the, and they, are, they update the technology and really learn how to use it so that it doesn't look like we're using a drone to be fussy. It looks like a stable camera platform. Exactly. Oh, it Liz looks gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is just, it, it, it's like whenever that's done in every episode, oh my God, it's, it's always breathtaking and dramatic and just, and, and there are cranes in there too, but I think the, the shots that you're thinking of are the drone shots. Liz, um, before we go today, tell us about Cousteau. Ah. <laughs> Wait, let's get Bruce back on, see what he says. Um, <laughs> you know, Cousteau, I'm so excited to premiere this film this fall. Um, you know, it's interesting, you know, Cousteau was getting lost to a generation and I was reading um, a, a book to my son um, maybe four or five years ago, which talked about Jacques Cousteau and he had no idea who it was. And I remember as a kid, you know, that was my, you know, my joy, my dream was to be on the Calypso with these guys. Yet for a generation, which was raised on like Shark Week, he had been kind of relegated to history and he was so prescient. Like the news that are on the front pages today about the oceans, he was warning us about 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Um, so it was just the really the right time to bring it back. And you really see the reason it's called Becoming Cousteau is because you really see the transformation of a man from an adventurer, almost a hubristic adventurer, to um, a deeply committed conservationist. And, um, and it's a really, you know, we have this footage that has never before been seen. I, I mean, I had keys to the kingdom of this Cousteau archive. Um, and it was just a, a real honor to, to, to get in there. What, as, as you, you went through this footage, give us one, one breathtaking moment that you were like, oh my God, I can't, I can't believe this. So um, Cousteau was in the Navy during World War II. 
Um, he had already invented the aqualung, which we know as scuba. Um, and he was, the Navy was putting him to work to survey with his camera, which he had built to film underwater. Now they had made films underwater, but you could never, never handheld. You could never move around with the camera. That's what Cousteau did and the aqualung. So he could go with it and move, right? So the French government, you know, the Navy put him underwater shooting ships, um, shipwrecks, trying to find out what was under there, what kind of ammunitions, what, what was under there. There is this incredible shot. One day he goes down and he finds a plane and it's a pilot sitting there still, like the moment they drop from the sky. And you see them, you know, Cousteau is there, he's filming and his partner is down there diving, pulling up this man from under the, from the wreckage in 1945. Um, and it's just an extraordinary moment, of course, everything becomes full color, it becomes an adventure show, but just the, the, the scope of this man's work in the 20th century was, is incredible. Bruce Miller and Liz Garvis, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.